everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 323. What's news with you? Recorded April 22nd, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element opie.com welcome back ladies and gentlemen to drive time radio for geeks i am your host mark sometimes known as the sultan of the soapbox cockerel and joining me this week as always are your two stalwart co-hosts seth the gooey kid anderson and miles the aussie junior wakeham hello gentlemen hey miles and welcome back to our faithful opi heads miles is here <laughs> hey how you doing guys he said hello to you but i was the one he, that introduced i him. know i feel felt so special <laughs> I, what i don't even know what i said so what <laughs> just happened here all Word right so first out. off uh, i want to I'm, I'm not going to apologize i don't owe you an apology but i do want i do feel i owe you an explanation as to why we missed a show last week i actually had a co-worker um uh, come to me um thursday i think it was and said why no show this week everything okay it's like you know, it's like a a, a a concern for my personal well-being. Uh, I just needed I needed a me day. Um, it was a it was a long rough day, and I sent uh, these guys an email about four o'clock Eastern time, uh, and said, "Hey guys, uh, I need to take the the day off." And I didn't get a response from either of them. And then about seven o'clock Seth's time, about ten minutes mm-hmm. before the show was supposed to start, he was like, "I said, hey, did you get my email?" He said, "Oh yeah, just did. Sorry." <laughs> um, so I apologize to you, Seth, for not uh being more aggressive in my messaging oh and it was no big deal because i was just wasting time on the computer anyway so all right um so the the other one thing i wanted to talk about um it came as a complete surprise to me i was unaware of its existence uh it's new uh it popped up on my things you might want to watch thing but netflix has a remake of lost in space uh remake is not the right word reimagining reboot that's the that's what everybody's doing these days a reboot of lost in space i out of curiosity i gave it a try i watched the first episode i liked it i I said to my wife you know i think you might like this first episode so she watched it again with me um and then we watched the second episode and as we were watching the third episode the youngest kid came down and said what's this about and so um we it's turned into a family thing i've i'm very pleased with uh lost in space on netflix a netflix original uh i recommend that you check it out it is not really in any way at all the lost in space from the 60s and that's fine because we don't need any more giant cabbage monsters that was that was fine for its day but we don't need any more uh but it's uh it's family friendly but it's also intense i mean there's some real real danger moments there's um uh, you know without spoiling anything the first episode is a very claustrophobic episode there's real danger you really believe that that these characters are in real peril uh and so it's intense it's probably not for young viewers but my nine-year-old uh watched it you know through through her eyes uh there's a little bit of uh of because we're on netflix and we can do it language uh, but otherwise, um, so far I'm only three or four episodes in, but I'm very pleased with it. You, either of you guys check it out? I want to because it's something that looks like I would like it, but I've not seen it yet. I, I started watching. I got maybe 10 minutes in. It didn't grab me, and it was first episode, first se- series of first season sort of things. So I thought, well, you know, sometimes you've got to be in the right mindset to be able to give something a shot. And I probably wasn't in the right mindset. So uh, I said, I'll put it on the shelf and I'll come back to it. So I've got it ready and waiting and I'll return back to it at some point. If it, it's, it's positive to hear that you 
you know, got through it and you liked it. So that gives me hope that I should do the same. Yeah, it is a slow start. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I was pleasantly surprised by it. It's not great, but it's good. It's good enough. It's, it's good. Uh, and, and again, anything for family viewing for me is, is a positive. Yeah, definitely felt family friendly. There's no doubt about it. But then, hey, the '60s, the the original one was too. Right. It was it was for everybody. So you know, at least they got that right. And then Seth, you saw something that I am both excited about and quite certain will be terrible, and that is the sequel to Pacific Rim. Well, the sequel Pacific Rim Uprising has everything has more of everything you didn't like about the first Pacific Rim. There were less. Um, giant robots and less monsters Um, and the whole reason you went to see Pacific Rim was to see robots versus monsters and so they made it in much the same way that the Godzilla movie should have been titled people reacting to Godzilla off screen this should have been titled (laughs) people reacting to robots and monsters off screen there was one really good intense action fight scene that like at for about 15 minutes at the end of the movie. And before that, there was just a little too much plot. I don't know, plot's the wrong word. Too much dialogue, too much people on screen, not enough robots, not enough monsters. But it is still, um, if you take the fan made, the fan film sequel to Independence Day, this is like Mount Rushmore above it, but it's still, it's an okay movie, not great. But it's not bad, average summer blockbuster kind of thing. Yeah, what was so great about Pacific Rim was it was an original story. In a world of remakes, it was an original story. So naturally, with a sequel, you've completely lost that part of it. Uh, so I knew it was going to be bad, uh, but I'm still going to watch it. The one thing they did good was the sequel felt like an organic continuation of the story. It didn't feel like, how can we make another? It, so, it you know, at least they did decent at making the story kind of, oh, I could see, you know, it's very believable. But, you know, again, there were, should have been more robot on robot, robot, you know, you know, robot on monsters. We'll take a little mech on mech action. You know, us action fans love that. Should have been more of that. And they even had the simulator thing where they could have, you, you know, you have a simulator that shows it. So you could easily throw in a couple more, but they didn't. So it's only okay. And Miles, I have no interest in or relation to anything <laughs> about zombies, but Walking Dead, go. Oh, everyone loves zombies. <laughs> you got to embrace the inner zombie here. Um, all right. Fear the Walking Dead and the Walking Dead series on AMC. Um, well, we went through a very interesting little uh, fan cult thing. If you're a Walking Dead fan, I am. I'm admitting it. Um, well, apparently, they, see, a, a few years ago, AMC did a spin-off series to cover themselves during their off-season so that they could put all of their time and energy into heavy production on The Walking Dead between seasons, and they ran this thing called Fear the Walking Dead, which was like this spin-off thing. And like all, I don't know, sci-fi genres, um, there's always been sort of like two parallel stories going on. One was kind of an East Coast thing, and one was kind of a West Coast thing. Well, as it happens, and this is not a spoiler because this is pretty much public knowledge, 
they've merged the two series together by having one character accidentally bump into the characters on the other one. So, uh, yeah, zombies are going to be a 24-7, 365 thing apparently now. So, anyway, that's just for those that are in the uh, Walking Dead genre. They might just be interested to know that the two series have collided and becoming one and the same. That's classic Hollywood. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. (laughs) It does feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, they used a character who was gone during a couple of seasons because the Fear of the Walking Dead is kind of like a prequel. It shows what the early days. So, hopefully, it'll work out somehow. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm curious. Anyway. All right, I'll wake up and move on now. And uh, Seth, uh, your uh, um, discussion point and the first news story can can go hand in hand. Uh, Bitcoin is still a thing and uh, people are still of mixed opinions about it. Well, I was kind of, I temporarily hate Bitcoin because thanks to them, I actually had to pay taxes this year. Um, I, I owed the government $7 when I <gasps> com- computed Whoa. all of my Bitcoin earnings, which, which I mean, here's the thing. I made like a little over $1,600 last year on Bitcoin. And then, at, you know, of course, luckily I, I have a kilometer, so I was able to see how much wattage my miner was burning and I can deduct the electricity that way. But um, that was... So darn it, I owed money. But so yeah, your, wait, wait, wait. Your profit for the year was sixteen hundred dollars mining Bitcoin. No, no, my gross for okay. the year was sixteen hundred. What was your profit? Uh, um, well, Bitcoin is part of my overall computing business, and I only I had about what six hundred dollars. I think I would have to look at my taxes. So you're nobody's so. getting rich with a, a last generation or maybe two now miner in their back room. Not with one of them, no. But um, you know, like I say, with cheap electricity. I, I didn't realize I had brought in that much money. I was like, I really, I made that much. Wow. So, but yeah, no. So, um, yeah, you better anyway. get on it now while it's still legal. <laughs> yeah. Because there, um, was this article, I found this on science alert and it actually came out a month ago, but you know, whenever you mine a block, you get to put like there's like a comment field in the block that you can put, you know, and like, I, if I remember correctly, there was one time where somebody put a like a will you marry me kind of thing in there but some of the idiots um who are bitcoin miners have thrown links urls to what is child pornography and because you could argue that the bitcoin blockchain contains child pornography you know that could theoretically make it illegal in the united states it's not and like i say the actual the actual images aren't embedded but links to the images are embedded in the blockchain and that's public information that anybody can go on and look and just like people quit being stupid you know this is why we can't have nice things that's exactly the line i was going to (laughs) use this is why we can't have nice things because everything eventually turns into porn pretty much so yeah anyway that was just that that was the thing so go ahead does that mean the internet's illegal too because i mean you can have child pornography on the internet right yeah so far there are no there's no uh legislation that says a pointer to an illegal content is illegal but if somebody really wants to kill bitcoin this is the kind of thing that they could stand on to do it yeah but massive uh banks and financial institutions who already have lawyers um on staff and already have lobbyists 
on retainer and already have politicians. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. They, they wouldn't have that, but you know, if they're good, they got to get, they're doing, they're getting paid. They might as well do something. And if they wanted, you know, you're not assaulting the blockchain. You're not assaulting cryptocurrency. You are assaulting the child porn that's in this particular, um, ledger. So, you know, this is a, an end of round. See, we're pro cryptocurrency. We're trying to clean up the market. Everybody say it together. It's for the children. Uh, so, you know, somebody could use it to quash Bitcoin or at least get it down low so the institutions could buy it. Then buy it. Most exactly. of it. Yeah. The, the people trying to put it out of business will then purchase it. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, so this next story, I'm going to preface it a little bit. Um, it's about uh, advancing AI. Um, and I'm just going to tell a little story. Today, I was in my uh, in my wood shop, and my middle uh, child was assisting me. Um, and uh, I have an Amazon Echo in the basement, which is you know an adjoining room to my wood shop. And the door was open, and and we were talking. And I said, uh, Amelia, hold this part, please. And Alexa woke up and said, fart is also known as flatus, and began to give me the, de- the definition of what fart is. So anytime we're talking about how AI is getting better, uh, I'm not going to be so scared because it's got a long way to go <laughs> before it's even worth talking about. So now, having said that, Google, all your base are belong to us. Yes. Yeah, so Google has worked out a way to tell apart, to tell or to distinguish voices in a crowd. Um, and the way they did this is like, it's on videos with um, presenters. So, it, and they, the way they did it was, you know, they got a lot of different voices, put them together, ran them through the air, whatever. But so if you see multiple people speaking, you know, you're hearing all those voices simultaneously come through your speaker and it's the cocktail effect, you know, watermelon cantaloupe, watermelon cantaloupe kind of thing. You can't understand anything, but with this feature, which AI is, you know, human assisted kind of thing, you can select the person you want to hear and then it will filter out all the other noise and you can just hear that person provided the camera can see their lips moving. So when everybody starts walking around with the surgical mask on, like you see in like Japan and China and other places like that, it's not that they're afraid they're going to get something through the air. They just want to be able to maintain some anonymity in public um, when they're talking to people. But yeah, so it's not like they can pick, you know, make sure there's no camera covering your face, put your hand in front of your face or whatever. And for now, this first generation, they can't get you. But in one way, it's kind of cool because, you know, you as a person, you can like, okay, if I want to listen to this one person, I can focus on them and put everything else aside and I can kind of hear them. Whereas, you know, a computer is its input. And so it's like is how it all sounds. But this way you can no, I only want to hear, you know, that one person. It wouldn't work for us because our voices uh, on the YouTube channel or our mouths are all behind the windscreen. So That's we're right. protected. But other people might not be. <laughs> so so uh, part of me is excited about this because I'm envisioning uh, a combination eye tracking hearing aid system uh, where people who need uh, uh, audio assistance uh, can, the system will know who they're looking at, whom to whom they're looking at, I think is actually the right ways there, uh, and will um, uh, 
tune in those voices currently you can do that with like a remote people who have advanced um hearing devices uh can dial in certain frequencies and and sort of uh, uh use the uh, uh directional features of the chipsets but i would love to see that with you know compared uh, combined with a, a set of glasses for example uh that would monitor your eye tracking they would know who you're looking at and uh, and help who you're listening to and as somebody with uh, deteriorating hearing over the years from too much uh, sitting in front of loudspeakers, um i'm excited about that but also it just makes everything better systems get better uh when when systems get better i mean it's it's uh to take this immediately and say the big brother is watching. Well, of course, big brother's watching. This just makes it easier. Uh, it hasn't changed anything. Um, and that's, that's always the thing about technology. People say, well, this could now lead to whatever. Yeah. It's the same stuff that's already happening. It's just easier. Okay. Let it be easier. That's fine. Yeah. Whenever man rubbed two sticks together and made fire or, you know, whatever that led directly to the atom bomb. So we should all walk around in darkness and eat raw food. Right. So, but you know, come on, I got to have my tinfoil visor on at least. Miles, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm scared. I'm scared of a bunch. I'll tell you what, look, I, I, I was holding back making a comment because I saw some of the items here that are on the list that we're going to talk about. And probably the majority of these will end up on the last one. But um, I'm just really scared that computer programmers and or coders, as they like to be called, um, don't realize they have an ethical responsibility in everything they do. And there seems to be this quest for you know scientific breakthroughs and everything like that without anybody actually thinking about whether they should be doing it. Um, in this case, I can see potential, you know, maybe with a disabled, it would be a very nice thing to have. Uh, I also see this being used as a weapon against us. And con- consequently, I'm not sure I have an opinion yet, but I'm cautious. You know, I I would say, yeah, okay, sure. It could be used as a weapon against us, but let's not get <laughs> mad at the weapon designers. Let's get mad at the people pointing the weapon at us. Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm mad at the weapon designers because I'm a software engineer by trade. So I know that there's a responsibility on all of us programmers to actually do the right thing and to actually write stuff that helps people and not empowers evil people to do evil things. But this and is, I, I mean, I just laid out a very useful uh, 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 use case for this. And that's, that's, no, the, thing did, that, and it, that's right, the thing you got to be right. careful about is that technology is not inherently good or bad. Invention is not good or bad. Um, it's what you do with it that matters. No, no you're right. And, and, and I'm willing to temper that because I'm, I'm part of this. You know, I write code, um, but I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm more, a little more careful than most. There's just a generation of newcomers in the, in the Silicon Valley right now who I... I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want to come across negative, but I don't have a great deal of respect for them. And it's not because they're good, bad, or indifferent computer programmers. It's because they're naive and that a lot of them need to look at ethics a bit and work out whether or not they should be doing what they're doing. Having These said kids that, today! You know, well, no. I mean, look, I come from a long line of, uh, long line of hackers, right? I'm used to people poking the bear. I'm used to breaking things. That, that's normal. But there was kind of an ethics behind it, and I'm not sure if I'm necessarily seeing that today. And that could spin off into a whole new episode of discussion on that, and so I'll, I'll leave it there. But uh, that's kind of where I'm looking at this. 
All right. Well, um, moving on, uh, thanks to technology, uh, your secrets uh, are no longer safe after you're dead. Yeah, this was, I found this to be a very interesting story. Um, Police in Florida used, um, they attempted to use a corpse's fingerprint to unlock his phone um, after he was dead. Uh, Now, in this particular case, it it wasn't, they weren't able to do it. They did, you know, it could be that the person didn't have the fingerprint set up. Like I personally am one that I don't set up the fingerprint, even when I get a fingerprint device, because I understand you can be compelled to give a fingerprint, but you can't be compelled to give a password. But you know, and of course your fingerprint, it doesn't necessarily change, but the texture can change as the moisture drains out of your body because you're dead or embalmed or whatever. And so maybe that's why it didn't work. But this, you know, like you technically have the right to privacy and you have, you know, in America, you have the Fifth Amendment not to incriminate yourself, but that passes once you're dead. So if you died and you, you know, and of course, we'll use the classic example and you had child porn on your phone, it can be found. Of course, they can't charge you. But let's suppose you were running, you know, you were running your illegal drug business off of your phone. Well, you know, all of your, you know, your pushers and your dealers are all listed on there and now because you're dead they can they can roll up your network from the top down because they found your phone so it's just one of those things it's it's kind of creepy but at the another way it's i don't know it was just an interesting story that i had never thought of the ramifications of biometrics being used against you after you're dead so well, the old saying goes that dead men tell no tell no tales, but also dead men have no secrets. Um, right. And I don't know about you know every country, but I would assume that there's reciprocity in in pretty much every uh, country in the world. That once you are dead, all privileges, all rights uh, cease to be. Right. That one of the things that you have to be to claim a right as a as a citizen of any country is a living citizen of that country. That may change over time, but right now, once you die, uh, you know your your lawyers can uh, can tell all the secrets they want about you. Your doctor can release all your medical information, and uh, you know all your passwords can be subpoenaed uh, because you don't have any rights as a dead person. Uh, I think it's uh, kind of cool that it didn't work. Uh, most of the good um, 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 Fingerprint sensors require a pulse or a temperature uh, uh, setting, so I, it's got nice to know that at least the cheap ones in our phone that some Chinese slave made for a couple of cents uh, is uh, is at least that good. Uh, but you know, the the article says it's ghoulish or that he was uh, disrespected and violated. I'm sorry, my right for respect left me when I died. I'm okay with that. You may do, you may uh, disrespect me in any way. You see fit after I die. You may defile my body in any way you see fit because I'm not there. I don't care. I'm dead. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's interesting and nothing more. More yeah, interesting it, that it didn't work. I agree. And and I'll add something to it. If you're a criminal and you're good at what you do, you ain't going to put it on your phone. Okay? Period. You're not going to do it. So if the law enforcement wants to spend bazillions of dollars trying to crack iPhones and get your fingerprints or whatever, let them have at it because I guarantee if you're a mob boss or you're some drug cartel leader, you're not using your phone. Yeah. One of the things about this particular story that kind of made me stop and think of the ramifications was in this particular case, the deceased 
was deceased because he was killed by the police uh, in the, um, you know, in the things of their duties. And of course, I, whether it was right or wrong, shouldn't have been whatever that, you know, the police can kill you and then take your biometrics and, you know, look for a crime after the fact kind of thing. And of course, yep. that's way over, you know, but I mean, you know, do we have a right to life? So I don't know. That was just one of the factors that weighed into the decision. You know, it's not like he died of a heart attack and the police went, yay, a break on the case. They're like, (laughs) hey, y'all, let's see if we can't stop that person in traffic and get them to run and see if we can uh, harvest some biometrics and maybe break the case. Well, I mean, if if they killed the guy, they're going to have to stand up to that. Killing is still illegal. Uh, in this country even if done in the line of duty uh police officers should have to uh stand up to uh some significant questioning about that so that will be the least of their i mean the fingerprinting will be the least of their worries uh when you kill somebody i mean at the very least it's lots of paperwork uh but at the most you know it's it's <laughs> it can end your career uh so you know it uh again it's it's like we we're worrying about a uh but you know b trumps a a thousand times over and we're not even mentioning b yeah no and like i say it was just it was just a little facet of the case if somebody goes the article they're like why didn't you bring up this well we did so all right um and no smooth transition here. Uh, Miles uh, was talking about uh, coders and how he has no respect for the youngest. What if the, the coders are eight, Miles? What about that? Well, they could be trained. Yeah, and that was uh, that perfect segue. And uh, Grasshopper is an app that you can get on Android or Apple that it's for learning JavaScript through a series of mini games. So, um, you know, programming is like once you learn programming, of course, a lot of some of the languages are completely different. But once you get over the block of learning that first one, you would be surprised how much the background logic and uh, logical thinking will translate across languages. And so this is a way to begin to develop the next generation of programmers, because as more and more stuff gets, um, you know, put on the web and put on app, the appification of everything, we need people to write those apps and bug them and then penetration test them and then see just what, how they can get in and muck up the system. So Grasshopper is a great way to introduce coding to the next generation. Yeah. And see, this is why I make the big bucks. Uh, uh, Coding is going to be the language of the future. I've said something like this uh, many times before. Uh, The world is going to rely more and more on coders. Even at the point, you know, there will come a day when software will be writing most of the software. Uh, But even then, you're going to need the guy who understands and can debug and can unplug Skynet, you know, can recognize the code. Uh, So uh, it it is an investment in the future. And why would Google be doing this? Because they're having a hard time finding coders. They're having a hard time finding quality people who understand. So they're just going to create the tools to build them uh, on their own. And that shows right there what the future of it is. If Google is willing to invest any amount of money, regardless of how big it is, into uh, future-proofing their pool of hiring candidates, that shows you how important it is. Well, you've got to learn somewhere, right? You've got to start with something. Um I guess when I was a kid, I started learning basic. I guess that was the first thing I did. 
Um, but that was a long, long, long time ago. The Me problem too. is that, yeah, the, the, the problem is, though, that when you look at developing software, coding represents about half of the time that you're involved in it. The rest of the time you're working out what the thing should do, like what the customer wants. I mean, what what you have to achieve. Then you're designing it. Then you're working out things like the user interface and the graphics and the user experience and all that. And then eventually you come up with some design that everybody agrees that we're going to build that thing. And then you code. And when you finish coding, you stop coding so people can test it and you fix it. And then you eventually deploy it. And the actual amount of time in coding should, in a properly engineered system, be small. It shouldn't be more than 50%. If but there's coding, not a shortage of design guys. They're, they're a dime a dozen. Right, there is a shortage right. of coding guys. Well, the, the, and the, the other problem is there's a shortage of talented coding guys. What people don't realize is that when you're dealing with any substantial system and you're dealing with millions of lines of code, whether you inherited it, you wrote it, or you're working on a team or whatever, that requires engineering skills. And the same skills that somebody uses to build a bridge or build chemistry or build electronics or whatever it's exactly the same thing and if you don't come to the table without an engineering background you're going to be a really really good coder of crap and that's the problem right now and we've got a world out there that unfortunately coding has become a cheap uh, outsourced commodity you know it's not it's one thing to say to somebody hey i just got laid off as a truck driver and i want to career path change and i'm going to become a programmer because those guys make all the big bucks uh they don't because they send the work to the philippines who get it done for five bucks an hour you're making more as a truck driver unless you've got 20 years worth of experience and you've gone through the journeyman and the you know you 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 the same career path thing that an electrician would go through or a plumber would go through or an architect would go through if you go through all of that you can make really good money. If you don't, learning coding is meaning you're entering a workforce that you're going to be competing with the outsourced, you know, Indian, Filipino, Pakistani, Chinese, name the country, fill it in. That's the market you're going for. So it's not a bed of roses as Google might want to sell it. But having said that, any child that understands the anatomy of putting something together like that in code has a skill set that's far, far greater than just writing software. So yeah. I applaud them for doing it. I think you hit hit the nail on the head when you said we, we need quality coders. We have lots of bad coders. We have yeah. lots of bad code embedded on chips all around the world today. Uh, so yeah, what, what Google needs, what the world needs are quality coders. Seth, what were you going to say? Well, a couple of things. Number one, anything that is worth doing well is worth doing poorly while you learn to do it well. And number two, <laughs> you talked about having 20 years worth of experience well what happens if you know 10 years of that is because you coded an app it might not have been a great app but you coded an app when you were in middle school and got it in the play store or whatever and then you worked on refining it and coming up with something new so by the time you graduate high school you know even if you go to college you've already got five or six years worth of experience you know it's it's not like the grasshopper app is leads to a seven figure salary in two months, but it is a tool. And as Mark and I were discussing before the show, the schools, the education um, 
crap system in America has degenerated into a testing system. And so you're not going to learn this in most schools in the U.S. And so you can pick it up on your phone or your tablet or whatever and begin to get the skill set. And it's like, if you know how to code a little, then that kind of makes the the design process. You kind of, you know, a designer would go, oh, wait, you can't do that yet because the code won't allow or whatever. So, you know, this is one place to get in, not a fix all, but a good tool in your education reservoir. Maybe. I agree. We all agree. Moving on. Uh, another thing we can all agree on, phone companies suck. Yes, and this was uh, my um, possibly cynical headline today, um, but is the government standing up for its citizens or are politicians looking for a cash grab? So yes. the United States um, has begun an antitrust investigation against AT&T and Verizon over colluding to make it difficult, if not impossible, to switch carriers with a different phone because theoretically you can get a different SIM and swap it out and get a different network, but they are looking or were looking to lock in a phone so it stays on their network even if the SIM card was replaced, thus forcing you to buy a new phone, thus making the barrier to change high and keeping you locked in with your crappy service. And so the Justice Department said, um, hey guys, you know, we got mouths to feed and colleges to send kids to. Um, you haven't been doing a good enough job supporting our reelection funds. Of course, I mean, that's not the case because everybody in government is stellar, high morals, would do nothing that wasn't for the good of the country. But on the surface, this looks good, but I don't know. But anyway, there is a class action suit out there. Um, the Justice Department is investigating it, and we will see where it leads, if it leads anywhere. So that was me being as cynical as possible. Well, not as possible, but that was me choosing the cynical take on this particular story. So the libertarian in me says, so this is just good business. Making sure your customers stay your customers is good business. Two companies get together and say, we'll agree to try to make sure that our customers stay our customers. I'm not really seeing how this is a government issue. Well, it could be a free market issue. I mean, it's one thing to say... I, I I agree with your sentiment about the fact that businesses should be allowed to be businesses and do what businesses do, but there is, I mean, if you've ever traveled internationally, this is a big deal because the bottom line is that if you want to leave, you know, say the North American area and you're on any of these carriers, you better have paid your phone off because you're going to need that sucker unlocked because when you hit, uh, I don't know, Bangkok or France or wherever you're going and you need to put one of their sims in to be able to use the network there you're going to need an unlocked phone and if you don't have one you're sol here so you either buy a burner phone and do it or you end up saying hey i'm going to be very careful of what carrier i buy or more importantly i'm not going to get suckered into buy a 1500 hundred dollar phone unless i pay the thing off up front right yeah i mean so, this is this is an issue of phones bought from the phone company right so if you bought your own phone from you know amazon or best buy or you know the guy on the corner that happened to have a bunch in his back seat um this is generally not a problem 
so that's why I think I think they're going to make a, have a hard time making the the uh, free market argument stick. And you're right, that's what they're going for. Collusion is they're, they're saying they're trying to uh, uh, stamp out uh, the fair market and and uh, reduce uh, competition. I, I get the argument. I just think it's going to be really hard to stick it because, you know, it's probably already something they agreed to in that fine print with that you didn't read, but you signed the thing that said, yeah, I read it and I agree with it. But the, the problem is the GSMA standards apply to all phones and not just that's like applying to the hardware. But is that the, is that a government thing or is that an industry thing? Well, it's it's an industry thing that is being dominated by AT and T and Verizon. Right. So, if GSMA so. is an industry standard, we agree to do this, and we've broken that again. Not a government issue. It's up to the the industry to police their own. Okay, but this is the industry policing its own by doing it because the industry is dominated by AT and T and Verizon. And I agree with you. The libertarian in me says, "So what?" But the citizen in me says, "As long as you are going to provide government-sponsored monopolies that deny competition, then you need to protect the cattle who are being forced to say moo." Um, you know. If you're going to protect the businesses, you must provide equal protection to the consumers. There might be a there might be another on. angle. There, there might be another angle on this because let let me throw out an alternative, and I'll just bring this close to home. So you you've got to go work in Abu Dhabi for three months, right? You got some gig. The they're going to send you over there to do some work. You got yourself a Verizon iPhone X ten, whatever. And Verizon, you know, you're still paying the sucker off because it was like 1200 bucks, and you said, oh, I'll do the $99 up front and pay it off, you know, over two years or whatever. Verizon like that because they locked you in for two years into their contract, and you're going to pay probably twice the amount of money for that phone and have something that's worth a pittance when it's paid off. Having said that, you still have to go to Abu Dhabi. So what are you going to do? Pay your phone off before you leave? That's option number one. More than likely, when you went in there and you got, you know, the deer in headlights and the Apple store and you said, oh, I've got to have that phone or whatever, um, you might have known that you were going to be doing some travel and maybe you were smart enough to think, before I commit to this two-year experience, what if I'm going to be moving or overseas or whatever, what am I going to do? I tell you what a lot of people have been doing. They go on Banggood or any of these, you know, Alibaba or one of these sort of Asian websites and they find a phone with the same spec as that iPhone X, but it's 199 bucks from some Chinese manufacturer. It's unlocked, and they can have it in three or four days. So they buy that thing, they get it in, and then they call up Ting or one of these you know, off-carrier middle-tier networks, and they get a SIM from there, and they plug the thing in, and that's their phone. And the end result is... Apple didn't make a sale, Verizon didn't make a sale, AT&T didn't make a sale, and a politician didn't get paid off. If that's going to be a competitive alternative to what they're talking about here, they can talk until the cows come home, but I guarantee one thing, when it comes to people spending their money, they will go where they're treated best. And if that means they'll go to China and buy it, so be it, they will. Only the educated consumer, though. So this well, is essentially yeah. the government government protecting those unwilling to do the work. Right. I mean, there's those that are ill-prepared or have right. not planned ahead. And this is... Or unwilling am, to buy a $10 burner. Right. You know? 
Right, or, or don't know that they can. But, you know, people who, I, I'm going to say the people who listen to this podcast are smart folk who probably do have a little bit of a, a natural scepticism about everything going on around them and are willing to do the research and are willing to look into these things. And I would probably say half of them are probably doing this. They're going and buying unlocked off-brand phones and having a field day with it. Yeah, our audience isn't full of people who bought the $1,500 Samsung from AT&T. Right. It's just not oh. that group of people. Good on you, people. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, uh, we've got like two minutes left in this segment, so we can't really have a good discussion about it. But it is, to my, again, uh, to my libertarian eyes, it is another example of nanny government saying, I'm going to protect you from your own uh, ignorance or laziness. And big government is going to step in and we're going to make everything okay. It, they're there. It'll be fine. The government is here to help. Like I say, as long as you provide protection for companies, you need to provide an equal amount of protection for consumers or get rid of the protection for the company. One of the two. I don't disagree with either of those statements. I, I like the latter one, by the way. Get rid of the protection for the company and get rid of the protection for the consumers and everybody can work this sort of thing out on their own. I have a lot more faith in humanity. I mean, I, I take issue with the fact that in this country we've decided that that in, that corporations have rights, and, and that's that's something that is in our laws now. Corporations have rights; they don't. Every individual in that corporation has a right, but the entity that is the corporation doesn't have any rights. But again, we have decided we, as in those of us who sat back and and ate Cheetos while the government did what they did, uh, have decided that the corporate entities have rights. Um, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, but you know, it didn't matter which one you voted for. Either one of them had already been bought by those <laughs> corporations. So what are you going to do? Run on your own? You can't afford it because you don't have the big war chest they do. I don't no. know why it works that way, but it does. Maybe if I just stopped buying Cheetos, that would do it. Um, Maybe so. <laughs> Seth, thank you for the good news articles. Excellent discussion. And now, what happened this week in history? Well, Mark, I wanted to let you and all of the rest of our audience know that on April the 22nd, 1977, optical fiber is first used to carry live telephone traffic. And this is from Cisco Press. In April of 1977, General Telephone and Electronics tested and deployed the world's first live telephone traffic through a fiber optic system running at six megabits per second in Long Beach, California. And they were soon followed by Bell in May of 1977 with an optical telephone communication system installed in downtown Chicago, covering a distance of about a mile and a half. Each optical fiber pair carried the equivalent of 672 voice channels. And today, more than 80% of the world's long-distance voice and data is carried over optical fiber cable. 1977. That is a well, milestone. That's salient. I, I, after this podcast, I have to get in my car and go to our data center because we just had a gigabit optical fiber drop in there that I've got to go and rig up to a switch. So... <laughs> How well salient is that? And, you know, just a little physics lesson. All fiber optic cables transmit data at exactly the same speed, the speed of light. So the, the fiber optic cables laid in 1977 are just as good as the fiber optic cable that you just had pulled in today. The difference is the electronics on either end. 
Uh, and of course, we've gotten better at more pure light and less haze, and and we can travel. We can send a beam farther with fewer repeaters, but. All optical cables travel at exactly the same speed, the speed of light. Uh, and so anything else is just how fat, how many pulses can you read? Uh, it all comes down to bind, uh, to Morse code, essentially. Dots, uh, 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 dots and dashes. Um, uh, the light is either on or off. And the, the electronics have to determine um, the code from on and off. And so the faster the electronics, the faster you can send ons and offs. Uh, and so now we've got, you know, gigabit, terabit uh, is, is I don't know if it's practical, but it's definitely theoretical. Terabit is out there. Gigabit is commonplace. Uh, but at this time, six megabits, um, you know, six million bits of information, that was huge. And now, you know, the, 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 the line running from my curb is is gigabit um and again it's it's all the same fiber optic cable it's just the equipment gets uh better on either end so there is no theoretical limit to how fast we can go Uh, i mean i guess the theoretical limit is when you're all on you know when you're at 99.99 percent on and traveling at the speed of light i don't know what that math ends up being uh you have to have some darkness there to get the zeros to be binary but anyway it all started in 1977 that's that's the kind of thing that a nerd like me gets excited about what amazes me is the seventies was the era of innovation. All I thought they invented was disco. Yeah, <laughs> who knew? They were also doing calculators, and you know, maybe maybe it was all the LSD that they did in the sixties. It really did open their minds. And so now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making you seem like a better hiring option? All right, Mark. Well, this could be an example of spear phishing because this one could be aimed directly at you. I had a different <laughs> one all lined up until you said the word reboot. And that reminded me, I came across this website a few weeks ago. There was an animated series, which is phenomenal when it came out, called Reboot. And it was about the lives of uh, different aspects of that lived inside of the computer. And it was pretty cool. And there is a website, uh, shoutfactorytv.com, where you can go and watch Reboot um, in all of its original glory. And this is apparently they made some craptastic reboot of Reboot that was just awful. But this is the original Reboot. And, um, you know, if you're a kid watching today, you would probably think the graphics were awful. But back in the day, they really pioneered a lot of stuff. And for when it came out, these were high-quality graphics. Yeah, this is VeggieTales quality graphics 10 years before VeggieTales. Yep. I remember seeing these guys. I, I don't I don't know that I ever watched it, but I do remember seeing these characters. Um, yeah, kids today, they don't know how good they have it. Anyway, reboot uh, for the win, maybe, or loss. I don't know. <laughs> All right, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us, how you can right here be with us, not just in spirit, but in in text and even in voice. You can go to elementop.com and click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA. Fill out the form there that sends a nicely formatted email to my inbox that gets priority. I will will read your emails before I'll read emails from my mother. She can't send emails. Um, But uh, I would, honestly. Uh, So uh, that's the best way to do that. Or you can dial 559-IMOP. Leave us a voicemail, and we'll probably play it right here on the air because 
It's been like a year since we had one. Door, I'm talking to you. Where's the voicemails, man? Um, you can also uh, send an email to geekrant at lmnop.com. And I'd like to make a, uh, a yet again, a pitch for the uh, CastBack app. There's been a link to it on every show note we've done for the last couple of years. Um, it's it's where you can leave comments in real time as you're listening to the show. And other people listening to the show at that same time can see and read your comment in real time but like delayed time so it's both real time and uh, time delayed so that if you make a comment at two minutes and 15 seconds everybody else listening to it at two minutes and 15 seconds can see and respond to that comment that's super exciting that's a thing that i wanted for years and then uh this really amazing guy named caser said hey i'll build that and he did and nobody cared i was just waiting for this to take over the podcasting world but apparently i'm the only one that wanted it so I'll just say that's another way you can contact us. Uh, the link's there. It's only on Android at the moment. Um, it is a, I believe, $2. But aside from that really cool feature that I just talked about, it is probably the second best overall podcast app I've ever used in all my years of podcasting and rapidly approaching number one. Uh, he's he's rap- he's updating it on a regular basis and things keep getting better and better. And it's probably going to be number one soon. Right now, I still like Beyond Pod for in a couple of ways. I think Beyond Pod is my favorite podcast app ever. But this guy is a re- it's a really good one. I paid like nine bucks for Beyond Pod. It's two dollars. Just go do it. Castback is the name of it. I think I'm done. You guys have anything else you'd like to say? I just ran out of steam there. No, no I'm sorry. I'm good. All right. Uh, well, thank you listeners for being with us. Um, you are quite literally the reason we do this. Uh, and so we encourage you, uh, to, uh, tell others about our show. Uh, hopefully tell them that you like it. I mean, if you're here, it's probably because you like it. And one of the best things you can do for us is spread the word. The second best thing you could do for us is throw money at us. And a couple ways you can do that right there on the same webpage at elementop.com. You can click the tip jar. You can leave me some, uh, money through PayPal. You can send me some Bitcoin. That stuff's pretty valuable these days uh, uh or you can uh, you know uh, go over to my favorite place patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash element op and you can pledge an amount and you you stand up and you say for every podcast you produce i will give you x x can be anywhere i think it has to be a minimum of a dollar it used to be anything but i think they've made it now a dollar um you can be anywhere from a dollar to a billion dollars that would be awesome uh, and it's a pay-to-play deal so i give you content you give me money that's kind of how the world works, right? I like it very much. So patreon.com slash element OP. Uh, stand up, be counted, and uh, support us. And I don't have anything else to say. Seth, Miles, you're awesome. I appreciate you being with us. Listener, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. And remember, pay for what you like. <laughs>